Just a quick story. Years ago, before Paul and I moved to Worcester, we were at a life group meeting um, at our old church, and it was kind of before the Bible study officially started, and a few of us were just chatting and catching up, and I was chatting um, about some, some aspect of um, my campus ministry work in Boston at the time, and telling about an upcoming trip um, with students that I was leading, and describing some of the public speaking that I was going to be doing. And my friend Cliff, who was in the Bible study, looked at me with a kind of like confused horror on his face, and he said something like, I can't believe you do that. I could never get up in front of college students and lead a discussion like that. And then I was just kind of as surprised as he was um, that he said that because it just, my work just seemed like normal work to me. It didn't feel very special. But Cliff continued to describe how he just couldn't believe I was able to do what I did. Um, but then I thought, well, then I thought, well, Cliff, I was like, there's, I don't even understand what you do. There's no way I could do what you do. And then we had almost the exact same conversation on the other side um, about his work at the time as a coordinator of the Massachusetts Charter School Research and Finance Department. And I, I was just, I have no idea what that is. So as I look back, though, now on that conversation um, through the lens of our current sermon series called Work Matters, I realized two things. And I hadn't thought about that conversation for years, but it came back up. Um, so first, I realized that my friend Cliff and I were both confused, totally confused about the, what the other person did for work, even though we were in the same life group together. Um, we, we both thought that the other person's work was just incomprehensible. And then second, I think we just, we both felt totally distant from what the other person did, even though week after week we met together. So to kind of recap our series a little bit, <clears throat> we're in week four, and we've been talking about the intersection of our faith and the various types of work that God calls us to. From paid work, to working in the home, to being a student, to maybe returning to working after some time off, um, to some of us being retired, whatever God has called us to at this point. So a little refresher to where we've been. We've looked at Genesis 1 to 3 as kind of the basis of our series. And just as a quick recap, and Leslie and Jessica actually touched on this, Paul led us through these four main points during the first week of the series um, from Genesis 1 to 3. So just a quick recap on those. First, we saw that God works. So God works in creating the world. Second, we learned about how we actually bear God's image by working. Third, we talked about work as a gift. We don't always see it that way. And then we talked about, lastly, the fall profoundly affecting our work, which we just heard about as well. So that was just a little recap of where we've come from in Genesis 1 to 3. And in this series, we're spending two weeks on each of the love commandments that Jesus gave in Scripture. So love God, love one another, and love your neighbor through our work, which line up with the three priorities of the Journey Community Church, worship, community, and generosity. So Pastor Tom and Len each talked about loving God in our work the last two weeks, and today is the first of two um, in our series on loving one another through the lens of work. Now, a few weeks ago, my life group here at The Journey, we talked about the first sermon series on that Genesis 1-3 to passage, um, the last time we met. 
And one of the things that we thought was interesting um, was that the fall, the fact that we sin, affects our work. Now, we'd thought about the fall affecting our work, our, just our lives, lives in general, but not about um, how the brokenness that we experience in work being an effect of sin entering the world. But it was right there in Genesis 3. It's going to be up on the slide. I'll just read it quickly. Um, and this is after the fall, after sin has entered the world. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. So clearly, the fall has affected work itself. We've talked about how it's not, the way work is now is not the way it was meant to be. Um, fall has, ex- has affected our work, it's affected our experience of it. But not only has the fall ex- ex- affected our experience of work, but it's also corrupted how we see work. One effect, there are many effects of the fall, is that we don't value work rightly. Sin clouds our judgment of all sorts of things, including work. I think we value some types of work more than others. Perhaps we look down on others' work. Maybe it's not prestigious enough in our eyes. Or on the other hand, maybe it's not down to earth enough. Or we can look down on our own work. And in essence, I think that's what my friend Cliff and I were each doing at that, in that conversation. What you do is amazing, we said to each other. But what I do, eh, it's all right. So we're going to talk a little more about how we don't value work rightly in a little bit, but I want to first look at some scripture to see how we can value work rightly. Let's look at the positive. So we're going to turn to Romans 12. should be on page 803 in most of the Bibles in the pews. So Romans 12. And just a little, as you turn to it, just a little background to set the passage up. So in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he was writing to a church made up of people from very different walks of life. So throughout most of the book of Romans so far, the Apostle Paul has beautifully explained the gospel, the good news of what God has done to reconcile himself to his people and to make these different people, these people from all different walks of life, one, to make them together as one community, one body. So then starting in chapter 12, about where we're going to pick up, Paul gets into some of the practical outcomes of all of this that he's been talking about. So I'm going to read it aloud from Romans 12, starting with verse 3 to verse 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, so many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. 
If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is talking about spiritual gifts in the church. So not exactly what we're talking about today in our work series, but the main idea is that there were people, there were Romans in the Roman church, who were tempted to think too highly or too little of the gifts that they or others had. Verse 3 again, if you look at it. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Paul is explaining here exactly why we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought or why we shouldn't look down on others. Because whatever skills, gifts, or abilities that we have, they are from God. Whatever you are good at, you are only good at it because God has given you that gift. Now sure, maybe you've put time into practicing or developing a skill, but your ability to perform a task is all because God has distributed that skill or gift to you. That's what we mean when we say whatever we have is grace from God. It's a gift from him to us. If we are skilled at something or a job or do a job really well, we shouldn't respond by patting ourselves on the back. I enjoy doing that. But instead, we should turn and thank God. Our gifts and our skills and abilities and our capacity to develop them did not originate with us, but with the Lord. Let's just look quickly back at verses 4 to 6 again. For, each, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So here, Paul is using the image of a human body. We have lots of different parts of our bodies, hands, eyes, feet, ears, and they all do different things. They don't have the same function, but we need them all. Every part is needed and forms the body together. So a grace-filled view not only informs how we see our work, but also the work of others in our community, causing us to appreciate these many different parts, these many different kinds of gifts. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. But again, as we've been talking about, the fall has warped our view of work. Instead of seeing our work complementing each other, we end up ranking work often. All cultures, all societies do this, And different subgroups within each society do this too. We all value some work more than others. Paul was writing to a church where people were ranking spiritual gifts, saying that some were more important to the church body. But Paul was correcting them, setting them straight about this. The correct way, similarly, to view work is that there is not inherent superiority in work. The right way to value work is that whatever gifts we have originate from God. 
You are not in your position or your job because you are better than someone else. And you aren't in your position or your job because you are worse than someone else. We have different gifts. Don't value yours or other people's gifts of work more higher or lower than your own. And don't dismiss the gift that God has given you. Just like Paul is correcting the view of those believers about their warped view of spiritual gifts, he would correct our warped view of work. So like the Romans were doing with spiritual gifts, we do this type of ranking with work and vocation too. One of the books that the preaching team has been reading um, in preparation for this sermon series is called Courage and Calling by Gordon Smith. It's a great, great book. And he highlights six kind of dichotomies or types or comparisons that we often make in work. So we don't have time to look at a passage together um, that Smith gets these six dichotomies from, um, but we're gonna, I'm going to refer to it, but it's Proverbs 31. So you can flip to Proverbs 31 if you like. Um, I really wish that there was time to read it now, but there's not. Um, some of us who have been around the church for a while or a church uh, may tend to think of Proverbs 31 as like the celebration of the virtuous woman or the virtuous wife. Now, it is that, but it is also about the work of both men and women. Proverbs 31, it's the last chapter in the book of Proverbs, which is filled with wisdom and truth. Now, Gordon Smith in his book writes, Instead, could it be that one of the most helpful ways of reading Proverbs 31 is not to see it so much as an addendum or an epilogue, as is so frequently done, but rather as a capstone to the collection of proverbial sayings found in the Bible. What is instructive is that the woman described in the chapter is clearly an embodiment of the wisdom that emerges throughout the book of Proverbs. And further, that this wisdom she embodies is most evident in the quality of her work. While there is surely more to wisdom than our work, this chapter celebrates a person who is wise in doing good work. So again, we don't have time to read the passage, but know that this is where, Proverbs 31 is where Smith brings out the six dichotomies, the six types that we tend to see in our work. And I think we have a tendency to elevate some of these types of work over others. So let's look at them now. First, we've got the home and the marketplace, or the home and the office. Now contemporary society has a strong dichotomy um, between the home and the marketplace, the home and the office, which actually those two have historically been much more integrated and connected. Now, while there are certainly challenges and tensions that come with the intersection of our home lives and our work, and just to say this isn't just a parent-child thing or a mom and dad with kids things, we all have this. The woman in Proverbs 31 is engaged in both of these fronts, the home and the marketplace. Smith writes, it is important to observe in Proverbs 31 that there is no inherent tension between these two dimensions of work. Indeed, perhaps the two are essential to each other, authenticating or legitimizing the other, each a counterpart to the other. We don't actually have to give into the temptation to divide our work into the two camps of home versus marketplace. Smith also writes, 
There is a need to beware the temptation to claim a higher calling to our work, perhaps our world of work in the marketplace, and in attending to this dimension of our lives, neglect our basic, mundane, ordinary responsibilities in our home and the needs of our family, neighbors, and community. A second contrasting type of work is just what Jessica was talking about earlier, the religious and the secular, or the sacred and the secular. Even if we don't mean to, many Christians deep down think that religious work is inherently more sacred than all other activities, whether at home, in the garden, or in the marketplace, and that the best work that we can do is religious in nature. But this is simply not true. It's not true. While I appreciate my self-encouragement and honor in my own work that people give me in campus ministry, ministry is not a higher calling. My work in ministry is no more sacred than anyone else's here. Smith writes, The Christian tradition has always struggled with this question of religious versus secular and has consistently split sacred and secular and generally assumed that religious work is more sacred. But, he goes on, the Christian tradition has consistently been at its best and has its greatest and most consistent impact for the glory of God and for the reign of Christ when it has affirmed that women and men are called into each sphere and sector of society. We don't have to give in to the temptation to divide these two. Now third, I think this is a good one, Another type of contrasting work is with our heads and with our hands. Menial work and intellectual work, blue collar, white collar. Most cultures and societies have the assumption that there are two classes of work, professional and labor. And that professional, most cultures would say that professional work is more valued and esteemed. But let us be clear about this also today. The biblical worldview does not share this more negative view of manual work. Numerous scriptures, numerous scriptures talk about working with one's hands, including Proverbs 31. Now, just as the Christian tradition is at at its best celebrates the potential sacredness of all work, it refuses to pit work done by hands against work done by heads. Smith writes again, The woman in Proverbs 31 is praised as one who worked with her hands. Our Lord himself, Jesus himself, is traditionally viewed to have been a carpenter. The apostle Paul was a tent maker. There is probably truth, he writes, in the suggestion that only as we work with our hands and master a craft, whether as a means of employment or as a form of recreation, are we truly integrated with our bodies. When we live entirely out of our heads, we miss out on a major dimension of good work and thus a good life. Now, I've spent all of my working years so far in academic settings, so I'm clearly reacting to the bias that I see there in in heads versus hands, but I imagine that it certainly runs the other way as well. We don't have to make, um, give in to the temptation to pit those against one another. So fourth, We've got paid work and volunteer work. So waged work and the work of the volunteer. 
Now, the woman in Proverbs 31 is not running a nonprofit. It's clear that she is making money. She's not just volunteering, and it's clear that it's good. Her husband, meanwhile, is seated with the elders of the city discussing civic affairs. And it's not clear that there is any compensation involved in that work, but it's also good work. Smith writes that we shouldn't make a one-to-one correlation between good work and the amount of a person's salary. Just to highlight that. That would be just another fallen way of valuing work. Now, my son has has sometimes learned, as we've been watching um, some of the playoffs going on right now, about what certain professional athletes make um, in their jobs. And he is quick to point out, he's 12 years old, that He's like, police officers contribute a lot more to society than these people. And they get a lot less. So he gets that the value of work, he doesn't realize this, can't be measured by the compensation involved. And for many of us, some of the most important work that we'll do in life has no financial compensation at all. To quote Smith again, indeed, he says, during our senior years, many of us will do good and necessary work with no pay. So, believe me, we'd be meeting here in a rundown, decrepit building right now if we were even able to still be here at all if it weren't for thousands upon thousands of hours of volunteer work, much of it done by retired people who've diligently maintained this place for no other reward than the satisfaction of serving God and serving the church. If any of you are here who do that, thank you so much. So fifth, we come to public work and private work. There is work that is seen by people and work that largely goes unseen in the eyes of people. Our fallen judgment tends to value the visible and our fallen work habits can often be more diligently, more diligent when we know that people are watching. But the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. So much work is not seen by others, but is always seen by God. And he is the one that we are ultimately aiming to please. This often means working with integrity, excellence, and diligence, even if no one notices or is watching. And even for those of us whose work is visible in public, there are usually hours and hours put in behind the scenes that make the public work any good at all. Musician or the athlete spending hours practicing in an empty arena, a teacher putting care into a lesson plan, an artisan who is struggle to learn their craft and produce some so-so work on their way to making things that people admire. Even good public work has lots of very good private work behind it. It's been said that integrity is who you are when no one's looking, and that pertains to our work as much as anything else. So finally, the sixth contrasting type of work is the mundane and the ordinary and the grand and heroic. So this month, there are many college graduations going on. I know that Clark is graduating right now. And I wonder how many commencement speakers will tell graduates to go out, change the world, or something like that. 
probably more will say things like that than would say, go and diligently and quietly do roughly the same thing every day, day in and day out, <laughs> with little or no fanfare or notoriety. It's just not as exciting, probably not a thing to say at a commencement. Um, but again, it's a fallen way to rank work. Now, some of us, some of you may be called to make some kind of profound and dramatic difference in the world. But for many of us, many of us, the significance of our work is not in making a big splash, but in faithfully doing the ordinary things in front of us every day. Mother Teresa often said, there are no great acts, only small acts done with great love. Many of us want to do something great, but we need to bear in mind that Jesus offers a very different definition of greatness than the world does. The small things matter so much. The small things, the things that affect people on a day-to-day basis are the things that will actually change the world. It's Jesus who needs to define for us what is great and what is good when it comes to work. So again, here are six contrasting types of work. I think we have a tendency to elevate some of these types of work over others as more noble, more important, more esteemed. So just looking at this list, um, just think to yourself, are there any of these that you think more highly than you ought or more lowly than you ought. I think looking at these myself, I've noticed things that even before, even just before our sermon series, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that I was looking at that more higher or more lower. At the journey, there are folks on opposite um, sides, if you would say, of many of these dualities, of these different contrasting types of work. And we may view ourselves too highly and others too low, or we may take too low a view of ourselves and too high a view of others whose work is different than ours. But by contrast, Scripture presents images of the body of Christ as one in which different gifts are present and to be honored. As a body, as a church, we cannot define the value of ours or another person's work according to fallen worldly standards, whether it be money, positional power, public prestige, physical or intellectual rigor of a job, or anything else. We here, we are all members of one body, and our gifts and the work that God gives us to do, they are his grace to each of us. Some of us have been given the grace of working primarily within the home, others outside the home primarily. Some have been given the grace, the gift of working primarily with our hands, others with our heads. Some of us work primarily in ways that get compensated or visible or are explicitly religious. I messed that up last night too. But others of us have been given different types of grace. We've all been given, given, given different types of grace. And it is grace and not any other standard that will allow us to rightly view ourselves and our work and one another. And that will make us, as a church and a community, that more fully and rightfully loves one another, as Jesus calls us to do. Let's pray together.